This is Scott Becker with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. I'm thrilled today to visit with Dr. David Williams. Dr. Williams is the Chief Clinical Officer of Unity Point Health System. Unity Point Health System is the largest health system in Iowa and a great regional system. Uh, we're going to talk today to David, to Dr. Williams, about COVID-19, the response, what he sees coming, and more. Dr. Williams, can you take a moment to introduce yourself? You bet. And Scott, thank you for the opportunity. So as you said, my name is Dave Williams. I'm a pediatrician and I'm the chief clinical officer at Unity Point Health. I've been at Unity Point for a little over 19 years, um, practiced primary care pediatrics for the majority of that time and has had various leadership roles uh, as well. And talk about, before we get into COVID-19, take a moment on your career and your journey from practicing physician, pediatrician, to chief clinical officer, and whether you still do some of both, or what does that leadership journey look like? You bet. So um, like I think a lot of physician leaders, I had no anticipation in medical school or residency that I would go into a leadership position. I was approached by my boss at the time. I remember it vividly in the parking garage. He asked me to run for a one-year seat on our physician governance council because I had been in private practice for four years and he thought it might bring some good perspective. I won that election for one reason and one reason only. I ran unopposed. Pretty easy to win an election when you run unopposed. Uh, and from that time, I just kind of fell in love with it. At least at Unity Point, I saw that physicians can make a difference. And it wasn't just all about administrators making decisions. There was a true collaboration between physicians and administrators and kind of took that and ran with it through some associate medical director roles, managing clinics in Des Moines. I've had a stint as the CEO of our accountable care organization. I had a four-year stint as the CEO of our clinic and home care organization. And then this year, um, I have my title now. Um, my current boss, Sue Thompson, my CEO of the health system, was looking for one voice for the clinical enterprise and one physician voice that can break down some of these silos and connect the ambulatory side with the hospital side and different regions together and our independent aligned physicians with our employed physicians. So that's what we're trying to do. Well, magnificent. Was, was the CEO back in the day, that wasn't Bill Weaver back in the day, was it? Or this was a different Absolutely. time? Different... So Bill was one of the remarkable leaders in healthcare. And, 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 and fortunately for healthcare, he saw the talent in you and asked you to run. Do you ever think about how convoluted elections are today versus the election you ran in then? I don't, I don't know anybody who isn't thinking about convoluted elections today. Uh, and I, you know what? Just kind of tying this back to healthcare, what has been disappointing for me is how politicized healthcare has become, and and you see that particularly in COVID, and you see that particularly in my state where mask wearing, for example, is a political issue. Uh, and I just think we have to to taking care of our communities, taking care of our people, and, and try to de-emphasize politics as much as we can in healthcare. Yes, and it is very hard because almost on every single issue, there's a different political implication or take on it, and it's become insane. So rather than just taking care of patients and how can we do this, how can we do that, it's become everything about positioning on both sides. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't tend to be partisan one or the other. It just is, oh, it's become politicized in a way that it, there's no way it should. The, let, let me talk to you about your COVID-19 response. Uh, you guys have done a magnificent job of it. Talk about some of the things you're doing, some of the things you're seeing, some of the advice you would have. Tell us a little bit about your thoughts. 
Yeah, well, um, as everybody in the country, COVID was certainly brand new to us. We had a little time to ramp up, and and then boom, it hit, uh, and it hit hard, and it continues to hit hard. Uh, we'll get into our response, but but I one of my main message is probably you know we're right in the thick of it right now, and at least throughout the Midwest and in my state, it's not over. I think the stat I would give you to emphasize that is uh, two to three weeks ago. Uh, we had our, our highest number of admissions throughout my health system, and this is a 21, 21 regional hospitals and then 19 community network hospitals. We had somewhere in the two to 300 range of admissions. Today, we're sitting at around 500, so uh, COVID continues to peak throughout. I think we've had more success breaking down silos throughout my, our system than we ever had before with COVID. And I think one of the keys that I'm really proud of is my partners that put together the clinical specialist group. So we had clinical guidelines changing literally every day at the start of this pandemic. We had to make decisions differently, and, and we couldn't wait for things to be published in journals and you know, studied and double-blind, randomized placebo trials. We had to make some decisions to help our patients and their families. We did them quickly. We reversed course quickly. For my system, we've never done that before. You know, we had a lead infectious disease doctor. We had the chief medical officer of our clinics. Uh, we had our CMOs from the hospital. We had a small dedicated group of physicians that met every day. Uh, we supplemented those with other team members, such as our chief nurse executives and our infection uh, control leaders. They got together every morning, uh, came up with solutions. We used our great communication team to spread those in multiple ways throughout the system. And we got our clinicians the information they needed. We did it rapidly. Yes, it gets confusing because a lot of times we had to change course, but we did it rapidly. And I truly believe that saved lives. And, and take a moment on this. There's obviously, at the end of the day, the number of hospitalizations probably tells the story of COVID spread better than anything else. Because people will say, well, there's more positives, but there's more tests, there's more all these things. But it's really looking at hospitalizations and positivity rates that really tell you whether it's getting bad or not in a community. And throughout the United States right now, we're talking mid-November 2020, you've got the highest level of hospitalizations we've ever seen, which leads one to believe that it actually is very bad right now, that it's actually back in a very bad spot. Two kind of questions. Yeah. One is the question of, is there a curve on this? We've seen a curve on this every place. And, and obviously the question everybody wants to know is how bad will this curve be and how quickly will we start to, are we at a peak yet? And will that peak start to reduce itself? Because you know, that seems to have happened every place. It gets really bad, then it's moving the wrong direction or the right direction, but now we've got a surge, you know, as bad as any we've had it all, all year in the country. Uh, and then, then second is, how do you deal with staff resilience through this and, and keeping the staff coming back when it just seems overwhelming at the present moment? Yeah, I think those are great questions. First of all, I completely agree with what you said. We've been tracking our analytics team. We've been tracking hospitalizations as the main statistic as well um, because of the variation in testing and in positivity, like you said. Uh, we can debate and argue, and I think it's a spurious argument, whether this is the third wave or the continuation of the first wave. But our hospitalization rates, you're absolutely right. They tell us that the disease prevalence and the serious disease prevalence is higher 
throughout most of the country than it has been in the past. And I can understand why. I mean, we have been preaching the same things over and over again as a healthcare community, good public health standards, wear a mask, social distance when possible, avoid lives, large groups of people, wash your hands like crazy. I think people have listened to us and they're tired. They're tired of COVID and they're tired of what COVID has been doing to their lives. I think the other thing that's really taken place on a positive note, we're getting a lot better at taking care of people with COVID. You know, you see that in usage of ventilators versus people that are not on ventilators. I told you that we had roughly 500 inpatients throughout our system with COVID. 50 of those are on ventilators. If I if I go back to the summer months, we probably would have had 300 to 400 on ventilators. So we, we are getting better at treating people with supportive care. We're getting better at figuring out how to t- treat this disease. Uh, What are we waiting for? We're all waiting for an effective vaccine. I think there will be some biologics and non-biologic therapeutics that will help us. We're all waiting for a vaccine and we've got to dig in and practice good old bread and butter population health standards until that happens and keep our communities safe. People often ask me what I'm most worried about and that's shifted. You know, I'm no longer worried that we're going to run out of ventilators. I'm I'm not as worried about N95 masks and other PPE. And don't get me wrong, we monitor that all the time, and and our supply chain has done heroic efforts with that. I'm greatly worried about our people, and I, I would expand our people to all the healthcare workers around the nation. Our people are tired. They have been fighting this tooth and nail for eight months, uh, often at great personal sacrifice. And, you know, with with the prevalence of the disease in the community, they're getting sick. If they're not getting sick, they're just tired. And if, if, if I can say one thing that I would love everybody to listen to, you've really got to take care of the healthcare workers. You've got to take care of our people. They've been taking care of you as hard as they can for eight months. If you're sick of wearing a mask, if you're sick of social distancing, do it for my people. That's what, that's what we have to do as a country, and that's what we're going to need to do until some of these effective, in the future, vaccines and other products become available. And, and talk about that for a moment, because what happens is when you really see the strain that healthcare workers are under, you start to worry much less about your own personal health, but all of us worry about that every day. Every time one of us coughs, we think, oh, my God, I've got COVID. And then we worry about all these odds of how bad will it affect you or not, your family member or not, and everything else. But take it the next step. You hear one of the great CEOs in the country say yesterday, we might have so many hospitalizations that you might have to figure out how to tend for yourself at home. And that's a scary message. And it's also a scary message when you hear about you know, they're just staff being burnt out, you know, through a big wave, through another big wave, you know, they didn't really sign up for this type of, of stress and, and, and so forth when they decided to be nurses um, or decided to be clinicians. You know, talk a little bit about how important it is to take care of our healthcare workforce. Yeah, and that that's the key, and and I agree that's a scary message. Mine has been a little more nuanced. We're going to figure out a way to take care of you. You're not going to be on your own. We're going to take care of you in our hospitals, or we're going to set out virtual capabilities. I have a great home care team that can provide hospital-level care in your home, so I don't want to spread too much doom and gloom and panic. We're going to take care of you. 
but but you're spot on. I am most worried about our nurses and our physicians and our respiratory therapists and our laboratory technicians and the people that have been working night and day under conditions that they never expected to work under. And it'll be fascinating, the studies I guarantee that will come out in the future about kind of the post-traumatic stress events that happen because of this. We are really focused on behavioral health. Uh, There is a shortage of behavioral health in my health system like there is in every health system in the country. But we're trying to come up with special kind of concierge services for our physicians, our nurses, and our team members that we can connect them either virtually to a provider. We do have a couple of behavioral health urgent cares stood up. Uh, We have some um, really computerized programs as well, but that's the biggest worry, Scott. The biggest worry is the emotional toll this has taken on healthcare workers throughout the United States. Thank you, David. And we see that so strongly today, much more clearly than we've seen it since probably New York in March. It's probably now it's very overwhelming throughout the entire country. We hope that this peak comes quickly like it did in some states and moves back in the right direction not too long. And we applaud and pray for our healthcare workers who are just the backbone of all this. Dr. Williams, I want to thank you for joining us on the Becker's Healthcare Podcast today and also for just the remarkable work that you all do. Thank you. I enjoyed the discussion. Have a great day. Stay healthy.